The following is a continuation of the previous episode. Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from scripture will inspire and encourage you. In this episode, we take a deeper look at what the book of Hebrews says about shame. We start by exploring the kind of shame Jesus endured and the call on our lives to join him in both his glory and his suffering. Jesus encountered a lot of pain during his time on the earth. He was betrayed by his close friends, arrested, denied by another close friend, and ultimately killed. Pilate chose political power over Jesus' life. The crowd chose to spare Barabbas rather than Jesus. How does Jesus respond to the shame hurled upon him? And what does his response say about ours? I went to an airport one time. We, we got there early, unusually early for us. We were about two hours uh, in advance because we had stayed in an airport hotel. And there was a line to check in baggage. It went all the way out uh, into the garage, the parking garage. It was unbelievable. There were, I bet there's 150 people in line. It was a 45-minute line. And then another line like it to get through security. I don't know what happened, but it was just a complete breakdown. I didn't see one person cut in line. We waited in line an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes, and not one person cut in line. It's the darnest thing I ever saw. Well, that's the power of culture, the power of imputing shame for certain behavior. It's powerful. And Jesus said, well, you know, your culture may give me shame, but I don't give that any value. I don't care. I, if you, if everybody in the store comes in and castigates me for sta- breaking in line, I'm still going to break in line. Now, of course, Jesus isn't breaking in line. He's not doing something trivial like that. But you get the point. So let's look at the actual shame he endured and see if we can't uh, take it into our own lives and say, you know, how, how does that affect me? Let's look at John chapter 18. John chapter 18, Gospel of John. Jesus is going into his Passion Week, or is in his Passion Week, I should say. Let's say in verse 3, then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns to the Garden of Gethsemane, torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things would come upon him, went forward and said to him, Who are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to him, I'm he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. So here's Jesus, and this is one of his disciples, who he invested in for three years, who he grew up and trusted, even entrusted money to. And he's betraying him. It's hard for me to think of anything that's more humiliating than having someone that's supposed to be one of your primary supporters, supposed to be on your team, who has been entrusted, who has been brought into your inner circle, and now they've gone 
to the other side. And not only are they gone to the other side, they're leading the attack to bring you down. Man, that is tough. Do you have anybody in your life who's betrayed you? Somebody that ought to be on your side, that pledged fealty to you, and now has broken ranks and has gone to the other side? Um, That's happened to me a lot. I involved in the political world pretty substantially. I'm just going to tell you, it's not all that rare. (laughs) And I can do two things. One is I can let that betrayal master me. I can focus my life on revenge. I can focus my life on bitterness. And now that betrayal will control my life. It's now my master. And the other thing I can do is just not give it that much value. Because I've got a bigger goal in mind. I've got a faithful walk of doing what God asked me to do. Part of which is, let me take care of stuff like that. I'm actually a really good judge, and I'll make sure all that stuff's taken care of in due time. (laughs) Just let it go. Nobody's going to get away with anything. It'll either be paid for by my blood or dealt with. Just leave it with me. Well, I mean, that's pretty direct instruction. I can do it or not. And if I do, I'm walking this path and despising the shame, just like Jesus did. Let's stay in chapter 18 and look at verse 12. Then the detachment of troops and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him and led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. So here's Jesus, and now he's arrested. This is, this is, a, <laughs> this is a way of shaming that uh, something I hope nobody listening to this ever has to endure. Uh, but I have a friend who... Uh, took his concealed carry into New York City. He had it in a locked gun safe because he knew it wasn't allowed to have a gun in New York City. And he uh, kept the ammunition separate, done everything he could do to make sure he complied with the law. Went to check his gun in with the Transportation Safety Administration at the airport to follow the proper procedure and fill out the paperwork. And they said, just a second. And they brought back police and arrested him, put him in jail. Because in New York, uh, they have deemed possession with a deadly weapon, loaded weapon, to mean that if you have one that you could get to and you have ammunition kind of within your immediate uh, uh, availability that you could go get and load the gun. So it's, it's this big stretch that they've done. And he didn't know that. And he just told the story about how how demeaning that was, how humiliating that was. What a what a just life changing perspective that I'm in a cell. I've I have been taken out of my daily life when I get to make my own choices, and I've been handcuffed, put in a car, and the and the door shut. You know, it it uh, it could happen to any of us. And in that case, completely unjustly. Well, this happened to Jesus. Now, I can do one of two things with that. I can either consider myself an arrested person 
and a shamed person and that's all I am now the rest of my life? Or I can say, well, you know, that was an injustice. Uh, or perhaps it's a case where I did do something and I deserve to be put in jail. Okay, that, that, might, that might be another scenario that we could have. And perhaps somebody listening to this has been in jail or maybe is in jail. And, you know, Jesus' better sacrifice happened to take care of all those things. And so I can either say, enter the throne room with the throne of grace and have my heart cleansed and trust that Jesus has cared for that and now move forward and take, take advantage of the circumstances that I have as they are. Or I can live in the past and I can say only, oh, if I had only not done that. Well, you know, the past can teach us lessons, but we can't change it. And are you in a position where you're controlled by the past? Maybe it does not have anything to do with arrest, but it could be something else. Some circumstance that, that, it, that intervened where it completely altered the direction of your life in an adverse way. Can you trust God with that? and say, I can't change that, but I can change now. I can live this life from this point forward to walk in this path. He's promised that's good, that that's what he wants. That's what he's telling us. Despising the shame endured the cross for the joy set before him. Let's look at um, verse 27. Starting with 25 here. Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. He's outside the where the trial's happening here. Therefore they, the people around him, said to him, you're not also one of the disciples, are you? One of the twelve? One of the close followers of Jesus? He denied it and said, I'm not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter cut off, said, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter denied it again. Late in one of the other accounts, Jesus and Peter's eyes lock. Peter goes away weeping bitterly. Well, it doesn't get much worse than this. Not only did Judas betray him, Jesus knew Judas was a kind of a worm. He said so. But Simon Peter, who's the rock, his name's changed from Simon to Rocky, which is what Petra means. He's the guy that's the leader of the 12. And now he said... I'm not one of them. I've denied him. That's, I mean, that's, that's really shameful. Did it deter Jesus from his path? Did he say, well, if, every, if, if I'm the only one, then I'm not going to do it anymore. Forget it. I'm not going to follow this path if no one's coming with me. No, no, he didn't do that. Why? Because that, at the end of that path was his father standing at the right hand, ready to seat Jesus. You see, you see this, this contrast between following a road that has God at the end, wanting to please God, and reacting to shame. And the culture will try to shame you into conforming to it in some ways that are inconsistent with following this path to please God. And you can't serve them both. You've got to make a choice. Do you have anybody that's really close in your family? Maybe your most trusted friend that's denied you, humiliated, shamed you? Is that going to deter you from your path? Is that going to control the choices you make of who you become? 
Or can you just say, well, that hurts. I mean, all these things hurt Jesus. He's human. He was, he was immensely impacted by it. But compared to pleasing his father, he just didn't give it that much credence. Can we do that? 1831. Then Pilate. Pilate is the Roman governor at the time. So here are these Jewish leaders who are supposed to hate Rome and supposed to consider anything Roman uh, a defilement and something for them to oppose. And they are pleading with Pilate to do their bidding. Then Pilate said to him, them, these Jewish leaders, you take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore, the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. That the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. Then Pilate entered the the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, are you king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, are you speaking for yourself about this or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests has delivered to you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom's not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly, I'm a king. For this cause I was born. For this cause I've come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who's of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said, what is truth? Now you've got several rejections here. Jesus is the king of the Jews. And the people who are trying to put him to death are the very leaders that should be ushering him in to his kingdom. I can't think of a greater injustice than for this to happen. Have you suffered injustice? Someone has uh, criticized you unfairly. Someone has uh, taken advantage of you. Is that going to control you? Are you going to change your behavior to make that stop? Or can you look beyond that and say, you know, actually, that's not going to control me. I've got something bigger. I've got a God to please here who wants me to behave in a certain way. And there's a clear distinction. We've got another rejection here in that Pilate is the head of the secular government. And he is saying, you're innocent. I want to let you go. And yet doesn't. (laughs) He cares more about his political ambition than he does doing what's right. Finally, we have kind of the most humiliating, possibly the most humiliating thing that happens short of the physical abuse. In verse 39, he says, Pilate, but you have a custom... that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Now, the Passover is a celebration of a time where the death angel passed over any house that had blood of of a sheep on the lentils of the door in the form of a cross, as it turns out. So here we are passing over death. And he says, you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they all cried again, saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Barabbas was a robber. 
Now, we know we have a better king with a better administration. And the, one, of the, one of the terms of this king is the son, son of man. And we talked at length in this study about how son is a title of royalty where a, a, a potentate will say, today I've begotten you, you're to be to me a father, and I, I mean, I will be to you a father, you'll be to me a son. And it's a, another way of this sitting down at the right hand of the father. It's an elevation of status into a house of royalty. Barabbas means son of the father. So here we have a false son of the father who's a robber for heaven's sakes. And you've got the real son of the father who's the king of the universe. And he asked them, which of these do you want me to release? And they take the robber. This is uh, this is just uh, unbelievable. To bring it to actual home, then now we're going to make it physical. In chapter nineteen, Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. So now we're whipping him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. So king has to have a crown. And they put him a purple robe. And they said, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. So now he's being mocked. Not only physically, but also verbally. Have you been mocked? Have you taken a stand for something that you really knew was right? Perhaps you uh, are a, a young girl. And you've taken a, you've decided that you want to remain chaste. Uh, there are plenty of people that will mock you for that. Perhaps you're a young man who has um, decided that you don't want to cut corners in business, and you're going to have you're going to do things with integrity. There are plenty of people that mock you for that, and it hurts. It hurts to be mocked. It's very painful. It hurt. It's. Uh, You don't necessarily have to have the physical manifestation of mocking to feel the physical manifestation of mocking. It is painful to be mocked. But we have a choice. That mocking can either control our behavior and we can change and serve it, or we can not give it much value as compared to the joy set before us to endure the cross, despising the shame, and have Jesus say, Tim, I really was pleased by the way you live your life. Which is it going to be? We can't have both. The Jews answered him. Pilate said to them, he's talking to the Jews, the Jewish leaders, you take him and crucify him. I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. This is blasphemy, according to the Jews. Now, it actually is blasphemy if it's not true. In this particular case, it happens to be true. And Jesus had given them ample uh, ample evidence that it was true through the miracles, through his teachings. But they were unwilling to listen, unwilling to hear. And this is incredible shame. Have you had something that is true and you've been unjustly, punished 
for a lie when you stood for something that was true. Perhaps you stood up in your family and said something that the family needed to hear, and it was true, and they rejected you for it because they didn't want to hear it. Perhaps you stood up in your company and said something that was true, and people didn't want to hear it. Well, you know, you follow God in each circumstance. But if that's where God had you, and you had to suffer that, you have a fundamental choice. Are you going to let that mocking, that rejection control you and change your behavior? Or are you going to continue to walk in a way that says, that hurts, it's immensely painful, it might even cost you a job or something. But I have something bigger. Now, let me just say, there's nowhere in Scripture where we're to bring pain upon ourselves deliberately. And Scripture manifestly says we should not suffer for being an idiot. It actually says do not suffer for being an evildoer. I'm just going to broaden it and say we can bring suffering on ourselves because we're just being stupid. We can be selfish. We can be inconsiderate. We can uh, be judgmental. We can be self-righteous. And we can say that we're bringing this criticism or this mocking upon ourselves because we're right and they're wrong and, and, and martyr ourselves as a way of, kind of in a sick way, showing that we're right and they're wrong. And that's not what we're talking about in any of this. We're not talking about being stupid. And all of, all of us are subject to this. What we're talking about here is actually serving the living God in a way that does life the way he wants us to do it. And here's a good little test. If you're trying to show somebody up, if you're trying to prove a point to someone, if, you're try, if your goal is to be right and show that someone else is wrong, if, you're, if you feel a superiority to other people, probably good to approach that throne of grace and go to that tabernacle in heaven and get your heart cleansed. Because we're not talking here about anything that does lords over other people, even in a twisted way. What we're talking about here is a way of serving. Serving the truth. Serving by example. Jesus was rejected by the disciples. He was cast aside by his own nation. And in doing so, he defeated death. And he sat down at the right hand of the Father and has given a name above every name and has led the restoration for all things. He has completed salvation. Are we going to walk that path? Are we going to walk that path? Are we going to walk the path of just trying to get momentary benefit from avoiding shame. Let's just close with Paul. And Paul, in 2 Corinthians 4, let's just go to 2 Corinthians 4. In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul is, is uh, or in 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us about his life a bit. We can look at 2 Corinthians 11. And in 2 Corinthians 11, he tells us a little bit about his life. 
in 24, 11, 24, he says, from the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. I'm told that 39 stripes, uh, 40 would uh, kill you, so they only did 39. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often, perils of water, perils of robbers, perils of my own countrymen, perils of Gentiles, perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, among false brethren, weariness, toil, sleepiness, often in hunger, thirst, fastings, often cold, nakedness, and my concern for the churches above that all. <laughs> so... This is uh, not the kind of life everybody, the typical person would say, oh, gee, I hope my life's like that. But this is Paul's life. This is what he endures on a daily basis. And here's what he says about that, going to chapter 4. He says in verse 16, Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Well, you can see how his outward man would be perishing. He's been beaten to a pulp. <laughs> Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day for our light affliction, which is but for a moment. This is his perspective. Am I afflicted? Yes, I am. But it's just not lasting that long. Remember, our life on this earth is but a wisp of vapor compared to our internal existence. This is just not that long. And it's a very minute period of time in our life where we can get to know God walking by faith and prove ourselves worthy of being restored to our original purpose through serving and through casting aside sin and every entanglement and running this race the way Jesus did. Let's just go on here. Verse 18, we do not look at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. The things which are seen are temporary. Does this sound like Hebrews chapter 11? But the things which are not seen are eternal. This is what faith is. To see that which we can't see, the eternal things. Skip down to chapter 5, verse 9. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, whether I'm in heaven, with God, in the new earth, with Jesus, or now in this life, to be well-pleasing to him. This is the goal of life. Just like Enoch. Just like Jesus. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is the culmination of our life. That each one may receive the things that we did while in the body. And this momentary light affliction is going to turn into eternal weight of glory, Paul says. According to what he's done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. This is the joy set before us, that we have the opportunity to stand before God and have him say, well done, Tim. In order to do that, we lay aside these momentary light afflictions and we give no value to the shame that our culture heaps on us for walking with Jesus. It's not that it doesn't hurt, it does. It's not that it isn't painful, it is. It's that it's momentary. And compared with the joy set before us, it's light. This is the better way, the word mixed with faith. And a way to be part of this administration that has a better king and a better world. And a way to be a priestly function to our friends and neighbors and family by following the priestly function of Jesus where we intercede by entering the the uh, tabernacle ourselves to receive healing 
and grace to help in time of need. Forgiveness for failings. Are you going to let your past control you? Are you going to look ahead and follow Jesus? Are you going to let your passions control you? Are you going to follow ahead and follow Jesus? Are you going to let the shame of injustice or mockery control you? Are you going to look forward to Jesus? This is the example that we have, an example for us to follow. Let's close. God, I thank you for your word, for this amazing picture you've given us, that you came to heaven. Sometimes people say there's many mountains to God, and Lord, we know you're infinite, and no mountain can reach you, no mountain. So you came to us in the form of a man, lived among us, and endured this shame because of the joy set before you. And in defeating death, you've paved this path, this amazing way. Give us faith, Lord. Give us knowledge that we may believe you and walk it, that we may receive from you that which you desire to give us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowbloons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowbloons.net. Thanks for listening.